Back in the day when my girls were born, it was not easy to share photos and videos with loved ones, but you have a fantastic option available, the Family Album app. The Family Album app was created in 2015 and has operated in the long term to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with loved ones. It's a totally secure personal haven for your family's memories. I love that there's no third-party ads, no unwanted eyes. Now, let me share some of the great features that make the Family Album app a go-to app. First off, the app automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and see how your child has grown. No more scrolling through endless feeds or searching through folders. Another cool feature about the Family Album app is you can order eight free photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. It's really nice to have some tangible pictures to hold onto or share to document each month of your baby's life. Plus, the Family Album app has unlimited storage and it is totally free. Yes, you heard that right. No more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by ads when you're just trying to relive those heartwarming moments. So if you are still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, it is time to level up your family photo game with a free photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, it's all one word, download the app and start creating a legacy of love one photo at a time. Don't let diaper rash come between you and your baby. Diaper rash can be one of the worst experiences your little one has to go through and keeping their delicate skin happy and healthy shouldn't require a spatula to apply thick, goopy treatments that can be just as irritating and uncomfortable as the diaper rash. Instead, try Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician approved skin protectant free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide. It was developed by a mom who is also a doctor when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash. Use just a small amount of Dr. Mom Butt Balm to help soothe your baby's skin and feel good about making the right choice. Nothing comes between you and your baby, not even diaper rash. Check out Dr. Mom Butt Balm, available on Amazon or walmart.com. You are going to need a pediatrician for your baby very soon after they're born. So listen in to learn how to choose a pediatrician that works for you and your family. Welcome to the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. I'm Dr. Nicole Calloway-Rankins, a board-certified OBGYN physician and certified integrative health coach. Every week, I break down topics, share birth stories, or interview experts to help you have your very best pregnancy and birth. Quick note, the information is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice. See the full disclaimer at ncrcoaching.com forward slash disclaimer. Hey there, welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad that you are here with me. This is a really fun episode for me today. I'm talking to my friend, Dr. Phil Boucher. Phil is a pediatrician, a father, and husband from Lincoln, Nebraska. Phil and I got to know each other because we both have online courses. Phil's course is called Mighty Sleepers, and it's an evidence-based program to help your baby sleep through the night. It's a great program. I'll link to it in the show notes. 
And of course, my online course is the birth preparation course, which is an online childbirth education class that ensures you are knowledgeable, prepared, confident, and empowered going into your birth. I'll link to that in the show notes as well. Now, I invited Phil on the show to talk about the ever so important task of choosing a pediatrician for your baby. He gives some outstanding advice. So I know that you will find this episode really useful. Now, before we get started, I want you to do me a favor. I love to know who's listening to the podcast. So I would really appreciate it if you take a screenshot of your podcast player and post it in your Instagram story. Be sure to tag me so I see it. I'm at Dr. Nicole Rankins, and I would love to repost it in my own Instagram story. Now, speaking of who's listening to the podcast, let me give a quick listener shout out to Tadpole. That's T-A-D-P-O-H-L. I like that. She left me a review in iTunes and it said, finally, an OB who gets it. Refreshing, informative, and easy to listen to. Love it. I am a birth and postpartum doula that will be suggesting this podcast to their clients. Keep it up. Well, thank you so much for those kind words and for sharing me with other folks. I really, truly appreciate it. And I will definitely keep this podcast up. All right. So why don't we go ahead and get to the interview with my friend, Dr. Phil Boucher. Well, hey, Phil, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I have loved following along and learning all about moms and the the OB side of things. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So the purpose of today's episode is to help my listeners with the very important task of choosing a pediatrician. And yeah. I thought, yeah, and I thought we would start by having you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your work and your family. I am a uh, pediatrician in Nebraska. I grew up in my home, or I grew up here where I'm working. I'm back in my hometown. Um, my wife is from a nearby city as well. She's just from up the road. So we both um, wanted to stay in Nebraska, and that's where we ended up and are grateful for that. We have four young children, and actually, um, at the time of this recording, are expecting number five in about four or five weeks from now. Wow. And yes. Um, <laughs> And I am in private practice. I've got a, a great group that I'm a part of and love getting to see parents in the office and talk with them in advance before delivery, even about what to expect. That's just the highlight of my day is getting to see new parents that have just gone through the whole delivery birth process. And then they've got this bundle of joy that they get to look at. Awesome. Awesome. Um, you know, I've never been to Nebraska. I don't think I've ever... I'm like, have I ever been to the Midwest other than like Chicago? I don't think I've ever been to Nebraska. Is it very cold there right now? I'm presuming it is freezing cold. I have a space heater in my office that I had to turn <laughs> off so that I could record this without the the background noise. Oh wow! But it is cold, and you know, Nebraska's new slogan this year that they just came out with and everyone's been talking about is Nebraska. It's not for everyone, <laughs> and that's the slogan because there's really, I mean, it's flat. 
There's no mountains. It's very hard to do any sort of outdoor hobbies. There's no beach. Um, but the people are just unbeatable. And the it, football is okay sometimes. There you go. There you go. All right. So getting back to choosing a pediatrician. So when should a family start thinking about choosing their pediatrician? I think it's a good conversation to have um, in the first late first trimester, early second trimester. I mean, I don't think you have to be, you, you know, have them picked out before you've even conceived or anything like that. But I think that once you are approaching that time where you're thinking about what hospital are you going to deliver at uh, or the specifics of your birth plan, then that's the time to make sure that you have a pediatrician lined up as well. Right. I, you know what? I honestly would have thought it would have been a little bit later. I don't even think I personally thought about a pediatrician that early <laughs> in my pregnancy. So you're thinking like second trimester is perfectly fine. Yeah, I think that's a great time to do it because um, for some pediatricians, their practices are kind of full. And so if you wait until you're about due, then you might find that they're not actually accepting patients right now. And then you're kind of like trying to find somebody or weasel your way in or something like that. So if you're proactive and ahead of, um, of the curve a little bit, I think that, that you can't go wrong with being on the ball for that. That makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense. So you're in your late first trimester, second, tr uh, late first trimester, second trimester. So just walk us through what a woman should do around that time or a family, I should say, about how they should go about choosing a pediatrician. Walk us through those steps. Most of the way that people come to us, I think, is through asking friends and through Facebook recommendations, who's, who's a good pediatrician. You know, so I would first have people ask the friends that they trust um, who they see and then kind of use that as a starting point to say, okay, um, they recommended Dr. So-and-so and Dr. So, you know, other doctor's names. And from here, you can start to look at their specifics. Are they near your home? Are their hours convenient? And, you know, are they available when you would like them to be? Can you tell, you know, what their personality is like or if they have any special areas of interest? Um, those are the things that once you have a, a, a short list, then you can kind of um, whittle it down from there to what fits you personally. Okay, so I can definitely speak from personal experience of having two children. You do not want a pediatrician that's like, on the other side of town, if you can help it. Right. So when you yes. have a sick kid, you want to be able to get in quickly and make sure that person has availability. So for sure, where they're located and their hours are crucial. I agree. Availability is really important and location availability is important too. We have families, we kind of live, or our practice is on one side of town and we have families that come, you know, 30, 40, even 60 minutes to our practice. And I really, I always kind of feel, well, I feel both honored that they came in, came all, drove all that way just to see little old me, but also it's difficult for them because there's such a commute and such a time to get to your doctor's office. So I'm if sure. you have the ability to see somebody that's close by, I think that's helpful for sure. And then, you know, not just location availability, but hours availability too, mm -hmm. and seeing, finding somebody that works with your schedule. Some pediatricians have weekend hours. Some have evening hours to accommodate schedules and both of those, you know, finding what works for your family and what works best will, will be the most benefit because then you can see them when you need them. What we always find or what we really get frustrated with is when patients feel like they have to go to the urgent care or the ER where they don't know 
your child. They don't know children as comfortable as we are with them. So they do extra tests. They order extra medications and things right. like that, where, where if, if we can get them in our office, then we know that we can provide really high quality value to them. But if, if your doctor isn't available when you need them to be, then it's hard to to make those things work together. Yeah, weekend hours and late evening hours can be very handy. Not not necessarily for like routine appointments, for but but for sick appointments for sure. Yes, definitely. Yeah. That's what we use our week. Our weekends are just for sick visits, and we were just having a discussion recently about how popular those are <laughs> and how people get a little bit upset when they can't get in on the weekend because right. they really. I mean, that's when kids get sick is yeah. in the middle of the night and on the weekend. They for never sure. get sick on your. Tuesday that you have off when it's the perfect <laughs> time to take them to the doctor. Of course, of course. Expecting parents who are looking for great nursery decor, this message is for you. As you prepare for the beautiful journey ahead, let Home Threads be your partner in creating a serene nest for your growing family. At HomeThreads.com, explore a collection designed for comfort and style during this special time. From cozy nursery essentials to soothing rocking chairs, Home Threads has everything to create the perfect home for your little one and always at the best value. If you like unique items, then you definitely need to check out Home Threads. We got a silver picture frame from Home Threads that is absolutely beautiful. It's one of those timeless classic items that will last for years to come and it fits in any space in your home. Be sure to visit homethreads.com forward slash Dr. Nicole today and receive a code for 15% off your first order. Home Threads, love where you live. So you've, you've talked to some friends, you've gotten some recommendations, maybe you've narrowed it down to like three choices. What are your thoughts on prenatal consults with the pediatrician? I think that prenatal consults are a great opportunity to get to meet the, your potential pediatrician and make sure that your personalities mesh. Um, make sure that if you have any specific concerns that you're able to address those with um, your doctor, if there's something special in your pregnancy that you want them to know about so that when baby arrives, they're cued into that. Mm. That's the perfect time to share that sort of information. Right. And also just to, to get the sense of their approach. We have pediatricians that um, are more comfortable with allowing things to play their course. And then we have pediatricians that are more comfortable with getting labs and imaging and uh, ordering additional testing. So finding out what what the right person is for you. And I, and I definitely am not the right fit for every parent and every family, but I get the opportunity to talk with them and see, you know, are we a good fit? Mm, yeah. So if you, in, in terms of figuring out that good fit, are there any questions that you recommend that can help parents give a really good idea whether or not that person is a good fit for them? If you had to pick three questions, you have three questions you could recommend. I think the the first question that I would pick would be, asking your potential pediatrician what their overall philosophy is in regards to pediatric care. I will I, I see plenty of different physicians practice in different ways. And so there's there's a lot of variation within normal, acceptable standards of care in terms of testing that's done, in terms of letting things run their course. I think that parents and families relate differently. And some some parents really want 
full court press. If my child is sick, I want every test done. I need that reassurance. Mm -hmm. And being able to talk to your pediatrician and say, I have really high anxiety. I need to make sure that when I have a concern that we're taking it to the nth degree because I want to make sure that we're not missing anything. I don't care about the cost. I don't care about, um, you know, overuse of medications. I just want to make sure that whatever we can to do is addressed. Right. And that's a really great point. I want to say real quickly that that's the same thing I tell women to ask about their OB doctor if their philosophies matched. Are you somebody mm -hmm. who's okay with like a low intervention birth and, you know, not intervening unless needed or or are you on the spectrum of intervene and um, Pitocin and IVs and all the technologies and all that kind of stuff. So this is a, a great um, instance of where you know, philosophy is a really big, uh, asking about philosophy is a great question to help see if you're a match. Yes, definitely. I think that, I mean, I think that's the biggest thing because most of the time, I mean, the, the actual medicine is going to be quite similar from doctor to doctor. It's, it's everything that goes along with that decision-making and how that goes. And then, you know, intervention or allowing things to run their course. Those are the areas where things can, can differ a little bit where both are right. And some, parents prefer one and some parents prefer the other. Yeah. Yeah. So um, besides philosophy, what other questions do you think? Finding out what their availability is like. Mm -hmm. I think parents these days are very keen on convenience and wanting to be able to get in when they need to get in and making sure that that's something that their office or the, that they have the same expectations that the office does in terms of being able to get in quickly for sick visits well visits and well care and, and when those will be scheduled, making sure that you're a match in terms of schedules so that you can make the most of your visits and you don't feel like you have to seek alternative care places because you can never get in or the times never work. Right, right, right. Okay. Okay, good. Anything else or are those the, the main things? I think I think those are the main things. I guess if I'm trying to break it down to another broad questions. Uh-huh. Um, you know, finding out what their office's stance is on some of the different parenting things that come up, especially on Facebook, you know, mm -hmm. vaccines, mm -hmm. um, vaccine schedules is a big one. Antibiotic use is another one. I always, I'm, I'm proactive at my prenatal consults telling parents, you know, our vaccine policy or the majority of our patients in our office are fully vaccinated on a, the normal, you know, recommended schedule. And I try and limit antibiotic use, um, sometimes to a fault, the amount of time that I hem and haw over, do we actually have to use an antibiotic? Right. And so being able to make sure that you're on the same page with your pediatrician in those regards, and not just, you know, are, is the pediatrician going to let me do what I want, but mm -hmm. how does the pediatrician handle other patients in the practice who... Um, might be re refusing to get vaccines, you know, is that going to impact my child because they're in the same waiting room with a patient that could have some unusual illness that is vaccine preventable? Right. I think right. that's something that I, I hear from parents quite often is not, you know, can I do whatever I want with my vaccines? Will he let me do that? But can you reassure me that everyone else in the office is on the same page with the importance of vaccination? I hear that a lot more than people that want to do things different. That is interesting. I I would not have predicted that, to be honest with you. That's a very interesting point and um, an important consideration for sure. 
Uh, I will have to say, like my husband and I, we were, we're, we 100% support vaccines, but we Mm -hmm. kind of fell into that category of altering the schedule a little bit. Mm. Um, Neither one of our girls got the hep B vaccine in the hospital just because we felt like, yeah, they can get it later. And they're so tiny. And our neonatologist, because our first one was a preemie and the second one, the pediatrician was like, oh yeah, that's fine. We often do it at the, I guess, one month visit and other, you know, and then um, we just didn't like how at some visits you may get like, kids may get like four vaccines. That just felt like a lot to us. So we tended to spread them out a little bit. But it's interesting that you say that that's not what you seem to get the most of. Yeah, it's it's refreshing for me, actually, because I was kind of anticipating the other side where a lot of parents were seeing what they could get away with and not get kicked out of the practice, basically. <laughs> but that hasn't been the case at all. Most people in this part of the country, they just want to make sure that everybody's on the same page and there's no surprises in the waiting room or at Target or, you know, that they're going to run into some vaccine preventable disease that that could have been avoided. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So now if you, you've chosen, you've done the prenatal consult, you've decided like, this is a great fit for me. Will that pediatrician automatically see the baby in the hospital after the baby's born? Because once mom, just to say, guys, once mom and baby are separated, baby has a whole nother doctor. (laughs) Yeah, it varies. So, um, in our practice, we do go to the hospital and see our own babies. Um, so, you know, I get uh, phone calls or text messages at 6 a.m. saying, you've got a new baby, and it's kind of a surprise. And and then I go see them in the hospital, or if I don't have any babies, then I just, you know, sip on my coffee and get a little bit slower start to the morning. Right. Um, but some practices do see their own babies in the hospital, and then some use a either a service or a hospitalist group that rounds on the babies in the hospital. And then you meet your pediatrician when you go home or and come in for that first office visit. I will say that I really like getting to see my patients in the hospital. And it's really that time when they're at the parents are at their most tired, but they're at their most joyful um, because they've got this new little bundle of joy that they want to show off. And so it's a time for me to get to bond with them. And if I'm on vacation or it's the weekend or something and I don't get to meet them in the hospital, it takes a little bit more to get to know the parents because you miss that kind of critical time period where you you see everything. You're you're there in the thick of it, and you see their their laundry on the ground and their <laughs> food. And, you know, just the way it is when you're after you're delivering. More important things are in your mind, and so. Yeah, yeah. Now, how soon will you see the baby after they're discharged home? I I typically have parents come in either the day after they go home from the hospital or the day after that. The the biggest things that we want to watch for are making sure they're not losing too much weight because all babies lose weight. Once they are born, they are at their birth weight. They lose about 8 to 11% of their birth weight before milk comes in and they start to gain weight. And so we just like to make sure that as, as they go home and they're waiting for their milk to come in, that we're not getting too low in our weight that we need to do need to do something. So for the majority, that means I just have them come in the next day. It's also a chance, you know, especially first time parents, they go home and they don't even know what the questions are. Right. And so having them come back the next day is helpful for me to answer all the questions that they never thought about because they've never had a baby at home before. And right. in the hospital, the nurse took care of these things and they didn't even know there were things they had to take care of. So right, they right. always come up with great questions for us to discuss um, at those visits. Okay. And then speaking of, you know, you talked about the milk coming in and that kind of thing. Do you have any type of lactation support in your office or is that an expectation that women should look for? What do you think about that? 
I think, you know, go, when you're in that prenatal period, that's something that I would make sure and have a handle on in advance. Because I think for a lot of women that uh, breastfeeding is more difficult than it's made out to be because there's a lot to figure out in those first days when you're super tired and you don't have any milk for baby. Mm-hmm. And so being intentional about thinking, okay, if we have problems or want some extra help with nursing, here's where we can turn is a really helpful thing to plan in advance. Now we do have a physician actually in our office who just does breastfeeding medicine. So she gets to see babies and moms and it's a lot of first time moms or repeat moms that want an extra, some extra help with getting nursing off to the best start. And it's such a value to our patients because they're able to get both visits done in one because they don't need to come see me as the pediatrician and then see her as the pediatrician and work on breastfeeding. They can just see her and then I'll see them once she's given her, them her blessing that, yes, nursing is going well, keep going. Okay, okay. Good. Some some offices don't have that. And so there are lactation people in, 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 in our town that can provide those services too for, you know, you go see your pediatrician, you get checked out by them. And then you see lactation as needed as well. So those are services that are available. And I've even seen some like telehealth sort of lactation services, which I think it could that could be a way to do it if you had a good scale and um, the, the ability to help mom with latch especially. But I'm not sure where that will go. But in general, I think it's good to have that available if you need it. And, and I tell moms too, when you're in the hospital – really just bother the lactation consultants that are in the hospital because they are there for you. Ask right. all the questions, even if things are going well, ask, you know, what do I do if he can't do this? Or what if, what do I do if this isn't working? Or what's another hold that I can try? I tell parents to really annoy the lactation people with all of the questions that you can think of so that when you go home and one doesn't, one thing or one hold or one technique doesn't work, you've got something else up your sleeve to try next when you're on your own. Right. Exactly. Okay. All right. Now I'm going to take a little bit of a detour. A couple of questions just popped up in my mind about things that happen like right after birth um, that I'm just curious if you offer, if you know other pediatricians offer, uh, what about circumcision? Do you do circumcisions or do you know other pediatricians that do circumcisions? Yeah. So in our community, the pediatricians do circumcisions. Where I did my training, the OBs did circumcisions. So we didn't really have much exposure to it when I was in my training, but here in, in Lincoln, all the pediatricians are the ones that do circumcisions. And I do circumcision um, in the hospital, and sometimes we have to do them in the office too. If, if they go home early or we just aren't able to arrange it to be done in the hospital, we do them in our office from time to time as well. Okay. In terms of in terms of offering that to parents, I really just leave it in their court. If that's something that they want done, then I I'm happy to oblige and take care of it, but it's not something I push on parents to, you need to do this or you need to do that because it's very much a social, religious, family, tradition decision. Absolutely. We could have a whole podcast episode talking about (laughs) circumcision, but at the end, I agree 100%. It is a family choice and not something that has to be recommended. Correct. Yeah. And then the other thing I was thinking is in this whole, we're talking about, at least in the OB world, the fourth trimester and the first, you know, three months after birth. And actually the pediatricians are the ones who see the mom the most, way more than we do, because we see them maybe for a a one or two week checkup and then a six week checkup, but you guys are seeing moms um, sooner. Do you do anything to screen for postpartum depression in your office? We do. That's something that um, I actually kind of pioneered at our office when I started five years ago or so 
is we do screening at each each well visit. So mom comes in for their two week checkup, um, and we do a Edinburgh screening for de- postpartum depression, and we do that at each visit thereafter. So at a month, and at two months, and four months, and six months, and that's what the American Academy of Pediatrics now recommends too, is to do screening for the first six months of life. And you're absolutely right. We see moms a lot more than their OB does once they've delivered. And so we're at that kind of critical point to intervene or at least ask the question because it's a lot of times no one has asked them, right. how are you doing? Exactly. Um, and I always make a point, especially at that two week and at that one month check, making sure that it's not just how's it going, how's baby, it's how are you doing and are you getting the support that you need? And I, I try and make it easy for moms to tell me that they're having postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety, or they're not sure if they just have blues or if it's something more. And then from there, we will set them up either with their OB to discuss options or with um, women's therapists that we have uh, in our community too. We we take the ball and run with it and let the OB know, you know, mom came in and we're, we're working through this and she may call you and need some extra help. Awesome. A real like uh, group approach, team approach to taking care of not just babies, but moms also, because you can't have a healthy baby if you don't have a healthy mom. Amen. Yes. 100%. That's what I tell moms too, because a lot of them have a lot of uh, guilt over different things. If breastfeeding's not going as well or something else isn't going as expected, then they have a lot of guilt. And I, that's what I tell them is, you know, a, a healthy baby has a healthy mom too. And so we have to take care of both the mom and the baby in the womb and then on the outside too yes. is we have to care for the whole family. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, so you made it this far in the episode and I'm thinking it's because you enjoyed this podcast. Well, if that's the case, then I have a favorite to ask. Creating and producing the All About Pregnancy into Birth podcast has been one of the greatest joys of my life. I'm so grateful to have each and every one of you on this journey with me. Your support and engagement means the world to me, and it's what helps keep this podcast going. But here's the thing. Producing a podcast involves time, effort, and resources from recording equipment to an editor, hosting fees, coordinating guests, countless hours spent researching and crafting content. It all adds up. And that's where I could use your support. I've never wanted to turn all about pregnancy and birth into a paywall. I want it to remain accessible to everyone. That's why I've set up a way for you to support the show financially if you're able and willing. If this podcast has helped you during your pregnancy, your birth, or your life, I'm asking you to consider contributing to the show. Your support will help cover production and team costs and ensure that I can continue delivering the episodes you love. So in the month of March, head to drnicolerankins.com forward slash support and contribute whatever you can. Your support, no matter how big or small, makes a significant impact. It helps us continue delivering high quality content and ensures the future of all about pregnancy and birth. Again, that's drnicolerankins.com forward slash support. Thank you so much for being part of the All About Pregnancy and Birth community. Now back to the show. So I want to ask you just a couple questions to help the listeners get a sense for who you are, not just as a doctor, but as a person. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what's the most rewarding part of your work? For me, the most rewarding part of my work is getting to see parents over the first 
years of life with their new baby or babies as they go through and have multiple kids over the years, getting to see them really flourish and thrive as parents. I think my favorite is getting a new family in and really getting to see, you know, all those initial questions, all of the initial worry and watch that melt away. And just kind of, I, I feel really lucky that I rarely have to do much other than give them reassurance and tell them what's normal. Right. Um, I don't have to intervene with baby a lot because most babies are just, you know, thriving and doing well. And if we can stay out of their way, yeah. then they'll just grow and thrive and, and do great. And so I really love getting to see them, um, the, the parents to come, come into the role as a parent and really feel confident that, that they, they know what's best for their child when they went from knowing nothing and relying on me for everything to then being like, yeah, we didn't call you. We figured it was fine. Yeah, yeah. And we knew that we, we knew that we could call you if something right. came up. When I get to see those, especially over like, you know, they've got their first baby and they're so worried. The second baby, they're not as worried. And the third baby, they're just like, okay, whatever. Yeah. They're like fever 103. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and I do get to see that a lot because with the continuity of care, that's the best part is I get to see that over time and see the things that would have had them running into my office or right. into the ER with their first baby, the third baby. They're like, yeah, we were at Disney World. We really didn't even think much of it. We just gave them my ibuprofen and trucked along. There you go. <laughs> now, on the flip side, what do you find that's most frustrating about your work? I was thinking about this question earlier today. I think the most frustrating thing, which is probably universal for most um, physicians, is not being able to do what I want to do to help parents the most because of insurance mm. issues, administrative hassles yes. that often get in the way of providing the care yes. or the quality of care that we would like. So I'm just thinking of, you know, a child that needs a medical stroller or a wheelchair and all of the hassles and headaches that it takes and phone calls and time on, of mine and my staffs to make something like that which should be really easy, just an easy layup, making it so difficult. Yeah. And, and oftentimes, you know, making the parents just so beat down that they give up on trying to arrange that service that their child could benefit from. I think secondarily, sometimes parents can be frustrating to work with, but I don't well, find that's that honest of you to admit. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's frustrating to work with. I don't find that often to be the case. And I feel really lucky. I don't know if it's just my patient population or or what, but it's it's rarely that I'm I'm butting heads with parents. And so that's that's an infrequent thing that will come up sometimes and we can usually just talk and work through it. But but overall it, it doesn't interfere much. And the kids are never a problem. I mean <laughs> it's you know, the things that bring kids into the office aren't their fault. They didn't do anything wrong. They didn't have a bad lifestyle or something right. like that that resulted in where they're at. They're they're just trying to enjoy life and to grow and develop and thrive. So I never get frustrated with my actual patients. It's usually the things that surround them and mostly things that nobody locally has any control yeah. over. <laughs> so what would you say you are especially passionate about when it comes to caring for children? Um, you know, in, on the medical side of things, I really like chronic care, helping families with children that have special needs or mm. special issues. I really like that part of my practice things like asthma or um, ADHD and things like that. I enjoy getting to see those parents and patients and helping them along that course. On the parenting side, I just really enjoy getting to provide that reassurance, which is why I'm glad that I'm a pediatrician because all I do for most of the day is provide reassurance. Right. And so just being able to take those fear, anxiety, worry that I see when I come into the room and help to bring that down 
tell them what to do, tell them what to do, you know, if things change and what sort of signs to look for with their child that would say we need to reevaluate. That really is what I get the most enjoyment out of is just helping to provide calm, provide reassurance. And I'm guessing your personal experience as a parent of four, almost five, <laughs> and influences <laughs> that quite a bit. Yes, it's so much easier for me because I can just be like, oh, yeah, our kids all had the flu last week. It was terrible, too. <laughs> right. Or, yes, my son was just like that when he was this age. He did the exact same thing. And now, two years later, he's a little bit better. So <laughs> it will get better. And here's what, what we did with our kids, you know, for all these discipline issues or um, parenting concerns that come up. So that has definitely colored my practice. And it makes it much easier for me to relate to parents having four kids We've gotten to see a, a wide gamut right. of, you know, the normal things that come yeah, up. Yeah, for sure. What's the age range of your kids? Our oldest is eight and our youngest, uh, other than our soon-to-be newborn, is three. So eight okay. to three. Okay, wow. You got a, a, a nice... Um... A nice, uh, I guess, a close group there. Yeah, a nice spread, but you <laughs> I was like, like trying to get it out, but it just wouldn't come out. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, one, two, three, four, five kids, eight and under. Wow. <laughs> so let's end with what is the one piece of advice that you would give to soon-to-be parents? The one piece of advice for soon-to-be parents would be to try and take things with a grain of salt and re realize that if you're already, you know, preparing in advance for your baby's arrival and trying to think about how to provide the best experience with birth, with the first months after life and all of those things, if you're already thinking about all those things, you are already way ahead and you will sail through parenthood and just find the experts, the people that you can rely upon to help guide you and to help figure it out because every, I mean, you know, parent, parenting has been going on for millions and millions of years. Mm. So there isn't anything that is going to be so unique that you can't find so, the support that you need to figure out whatever issue is coming up. And I would also say when you're worried about your child, find the people that help reassure you and then ask them, when should I be worried? Because I tell parents all the time, this is what I would worry about. The rest of the stuff, I don't think you need to worry about. Mm -hmm. And finding somebody that can help you, you know, adjust the worry or the level of worry will make a huge impact on your ability to be a confident parent. Awesome. Awesome. I, I think that's, that's great, great advice. So where can people find you? Because they can hop over from me right on over to you after they're done. <laughs> yeah. So um, my newest venture is my podcast, which is called Parenting Matters. And so you can find that on wherever you get your podcasts. Um, I have a website, drphilboucher.com. I'm on Instagram at drphilboucher. And I am on Facebook and have a Facebook group called Present and Productive Parents. Those are the main places to find me, I guess. Pretty much anywhere online at Dr. Phil Boucher, um, you can find me. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Phil. I really appreciate this. Oh, it was fun. Yeah. 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 And um, good luck on baby number five. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> so, I'm sure right. of pictures and videos to share um, as new baby arrives. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, take care. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Thanks, Nicole. Okay. All right. Bye. Now, well, that was great, wasn't it? I really enjoyed chatting with Phil. Now, after each episode where I have a guest on, I give something called Nicole's Notes, and that's just my top three or four takeaways from the episode. So here we go. Number one, 
you can start pretty early looking for a pediatrician. I didn't realize this. You can start as early as late first trimester, early second trimester. That way you have plenty of time so you can do prenatal consult visits and be sure that you can get into the office in a timely fashion. Number two, it's important to assess your pediatrician's overall philosophy towards caring for children. This is the same thing that I say when you're looking for an OB doctor. It is important to find someone who has a similar philosophy to care that you do. So how do they feel about antibiotics? How do they feel about running tests? Ask those questions so you know that you and your pediatrician are a good match. And then the third thing that I took away is the emphasis that Phil talked about on how your health is important for your baby's health. Just like during pregnancy, you have to have a healthy mom in order to have a healthy baby that continues after your baby is born. So be sure to take time to look out for and care for yourself. It makes a difference for your baby's health when you are healthy too. All right, so what has been your experience with finding a pediatrician? Let me know in the podcast community Facebook group. It's called All About Pregnancy and Birth Podcast Community, and we are growing every single week. It's a great place to be, so you definitely want to join if you haven't. I will link to that in the show notes. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you feel so inclined, I'd appreciate you leaving an honest review in iTunes. It helps other women find my show, and I may give you a shout out on an episode. And don't forget about screenshotting the episode and tagging me in an Instagram story. I'm at Dr. Nicole Rankins. I love to know who's listening and I would love to repost it in my own Instagram story. Now, next week on the podcast, I'm talking about what you can do for that dreaded nausea and vomiting in pregnancy. So come on back next week. And until then, I wish you a healthy and happy pregnancy and birth. Today's episode is brought to you by Women's Wellness Coaching by Dr. Nicole Calloway-Rankins. Head to ncrcoaching.com to check out my free one-hour mini course on how to make your birth plan, as well as my comprehensive online childbirth education class, the Birth Preparation Course. With over eight hours of content and a private course community, the Birth Preparation Course will leave you knowledgeable, prepared, confident, and empowered going into your birth. Head to ncrcoaching.com to learn more. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.